What is up everyone, Dalton here. Before we hop into this episode, I just have a couple quick announcements. First off, thank you for tuning in. The support on the podcast so far has been amazing. We're super excited about the community that we're building here with Move Local. So we cannot wait to continue to grow and meet more amazing people. If you guys aren't following us on Instagram, head over there and follow us, move.local as well as sign up for our newsletter if you want to make sure that you don't miss out on any new releases of episodes, of merchandise, of exciting news that we have coming up for the Move Local community. Head over there, sign up so you do not miss out. You can find that in the bio on Instagram or in the show notes below of this episode. And then lastly, guys, if you've liked or took value from any one of our episodes so far, please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you consume your podcast, subscribe to Move Local, and drop us a review and a rating. It really helps our podcast grow. It helps us get good feedback from you guys, what you want to hear more of, what you want us to improve on, so that we can continue to provide you with the best content possible and grow this amazing community. That is all I have for today. Enjoy this episode of Move Local. Welcome to the Move Local podcast. Our mission is to connect the movers and shakers of the Duntas and Hamilton area who pride themselves on growing a healthier and more connected community. We will do this through having conversations around health, education, entrepreneurship, and much more. We want to be part of helping you move confident, move free, and move local. What's going on, beautiful people? Welcome back to the Move Local Podcast. My name is Dalton, and alongside me is my co-host, Donald Lazar. How are we doing, Don? Great. Yeah, it's another beautiful day out there. Uh, We're just finishing off February, another good month. It seems as though winter is coming to a close here in Ontario, which is unfortunate for me, but... um, (laughs) You know, we'll we'll see what the forecast brings. And yeah, you know, I'm happy about that. I, I know you are. I'm yeah. slowly being converted to a winter person, though, because of you. You've rubbed off on me. I've enjoyed those, glo- those gloves. Have gotten exactly. Long way, huh? <laughs> I've enjoyed getting out in the winter, and you know, I'm slowly getting exposed to the trail. So maybe by next winter, I'll be out there with you yeah. in the winter. Yeah. I just don't want to have to beg. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we got another episode this week, guys. So we're back. Um, speaking of trails, we have uh, Patrick and Jay from Don't Get Lost um, Adventure Running, which is a nonprofit organization, um, putting money towards some athletic development and getting kids out and exploring and learning how to orienteer and all these things that I'm not familiar with. So I'm excited to learn about that today. So guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. How's the day going so far? Pretty uh, great. Pretty great. Yeah. yeah. Been yeah. out on the trails at all yet today? Uh, not today. No, no, I have not yet either. No. Okay. Okay. So why don't we kick it off? Maybe I'll have you guys do um, a little bit of an intro. Uh, maybe we'll have Jay go first. Just do a little intro into who you are, some background, and then uh, we'll go from there. Uh, yeah. So my name is Jay. I'm uh, the rookie of the Don't Get Lost team. Uh, so I've been it's about a year now. Just over a year, year and a half. Year and a half. Yeah. yeah year and a half. I guess. Uh, I come into uh, Don't Get Lost from an ultra-running background and uh, outdoor recreation education. Um, and so I'm bringing kind of that side of things in and then learning a lot um, through this process. Uh, still lots to learn, which is, which is kind of exciting. And it's um, the skills that are kind of embedded within um, this job and within what Don't Get Lost uh, accomplishes are kind of new to me and uh, pretty valuable so yeah cool 
Hi, uh, I'm Patrick. I, uh, I've been with Don't Get Lost since 2010. Uh, I came to them, uh, I was in Canada at the time on a working holiday visa. I was actually on the West Coast and I saw their job advertised online. Uh, I fit very well with what I was doing in my spare time in Australia and enabled me to escape the career I was in at the time, which I didn't realise I wasn't enjoying. Uh, and I've been here since then. It just was a really good fit. Yeah. And maybe maybe to set the stage, I'll have like one of you guys or both you guys comment on like what Don't Get Lost is. So then like yeah. the people who tune in can, can hear that. And then I, we got a couple of questions based off that. Okay. I can go. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Don't Get Lost Adventure Running sort of existed in Hamilton in many forms since about the 1960s. Uh, originally, I think it was called Hamilton King Foresters Orienteering Club, became uh, Golden Horseshoe Orienteering Club, and now it's Don't Get Lost Adventure Running. So basically, originally we were a local orienteering club for people who don't know what that O word is. It's uh, you know, a sport that involves uh, uh, navigation with a map, so you don't know your course, um, your race course until you show up at the start line. Uh, we sort of expanded, we do a lot of things we probably call orienteering light now, but generally like we, we are off-road racing with a strong navigation focus would be the best way to put it. How big of a sport is that in Canada and globally? <laughs> Canada, very small. Uh, our national championships will get anywhere depending on where they are. I think between, I'm guessing a little bit here, but between two and 500 people. Um, uh, like locally in Ontario, our local race, our championship will get about 100 to 150 people. It's a bigger sport in Europe, uh, Scandinavia, like uh, their big events will get, I might be wrong by a factor of 10, but I think about 100,000 people. Hmm. Yeah, I've been to a couple of them and they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so Jay, I know you mentioned you came from like an ultra background and like joining Don't Get Lost as like a newer thing for you. So curious to hear like one, maybe how you got into ultra and why that's something that you enjoy and then how that maybe led you into what you're doing now with Don't Get Lost. Yeah, I mean, so I come um, very strongly from a, from a climbing background uh, originally. And uh, that took up the better part of two decades for me. Um, and then near the tail end of that, I got, I got in an accident uh, fractured my skull, had some had some issues, and in the back of my head, um, there's a book um, that I had listened to on doing. A, I used to go to Nova Scotia all the time, and on the way back, we were listening to uh, Born to Run, mm. and it kind of triggered something in the back of my mind, but I had forgot about it because I was still climbing. It was just this like, oh, people run really long distances, and that's kind of neat. Um, and after I had the accident and I had a disc injury and there was just all these things compounding, I started running a lot more and uh, kind of immediately fell into that. And the cool thing about that style of running is that it takes you into a lot of um, areas of the world that you wouldn't go to otherwise and you run really long expanses. But the downside to it is if you want to go into more off-trail rugged environments, there's a bit of a gap there that I think a lot of climbers and a lot of runners don't actually think about which is more like navigating right mm -hmm. and I, I had some navigating from my schooling but I've never practiced it right so that kind of was in the back of my mind and I was starting to kind of work on that a little bit but then this position with don't get lost came up and it was this kind of melding these things together 
a little bit and it's it's providing me the opportunity to start learning about that and then bringing some of the skills I have in. Um, yeah, so it's, it's yeah. important in that context. Patrick, you, you mentioned that, uh, that when you transitioned here to Canada, you had been doing something in Australia that was sort of a natural fit with this. What do you want? To, do you want to speak to, to your background in that regard a little bit? Oh yeah. So um, I I've been orienteering since I was I want to say like thirteen or fourteen years old. Um, and at that stage, I was probably my late. We're talking about now in my late twenties. Um, I was sort of involved locally in Tasmania, where I'm from. Um, like just organizing a lot of events, like. Uh, traveling with the junior team to the Australian Championships. Um, and um, that was just basically exactly what the job was, or very close to what the job was when it was advertised at the time. It was just like, it was perfect. So it's interesting because like you've been doing this for a really long time. <laughs> yes. You're more new to it or merging into it. So mm. before we dive into like what you guys do with like the kids and like doing all that stuff, I'm curious to hear... You know, what have you learned so far about going into orienteering and learning how to navigate? And then I'd be curious to hear you, like, talk about some of what you've learned over the longer period of time. Mm -hmm. That'd be cool to hear. Um, I mean, one of the main things I've learned is that it's, it's a much broader, um, or there's different branches of the sport than I was aware of initially. Like, I've, I've you know, I know about row games and, and orienteering races and adventure races, but the different kind of little bits that separate them is really muddy, I think, to someone coming from the outside. Um, even still, I'm learning, like, the difference between what an orienteering-based race is and, like, light orienteering and kind of what we do. Um, there's a lot of details there that are pretty interesting. Um, so, and I think that's something that's just going to grow over time. It's like the more you learn, uh, or the more you don't know, the more you, you kind of have to learn, right? But what I've learned from it, too, is being able to actually go out and the, the most recent is actually trying to, it's like building courses right. um, for participants to be able to follow, but building in a way that's good, that allows them to actually enjoy themselves. Right. And that's something that Patrick's really, really good at and something that I'm learning, but I don't even see sometimes, mm -hmm. right? Because it's just yeah. his experience that I, I don't even see what's, what the issue is until, yeah. until he points it out. Yeah. So it's, it's a learning. That's cool. Yeah. It's actually fine. My answer kind of like matches that in a way. Um, so what I've kind of like realized, yes, it's been like 10 years now, uh, what I've learned and I didn't realize until I sort of started doing this full time is like how hard the sport is at its top level and what a huge, like the huge barrier of like being able to read the map and read the map on the run is to a lot of people. Like a lot of people want to get into the sports and try them. Um, but then they try it once and it's just like, they can't complete a course, even a very straightforward one. So really making a course that is challenging for both the experienced competitor and newcomers and have them all be able to like race together, uh, that's been like the biggest like thing I've learned. Yeah, because I could imagine like newcomers, it's probably a very frustrating thing or a very challenging thing. So I could see how it would be easy for people to get maybe deterred from wanting to actually participate. Yes, yeah. yes. Especially as, and that's been one of our biggest things, especially you're trying to get kids to do races as well. Yeah. Like, with our kids program, we're there with them 100% of the time, but with a race, you're sort of like sending them off. Mm -hmm. And often they're still with parents or in groups, but like, if you're a kid and you can't like, find, do what you need to do, like, it's not a fun experience. Like, always our goal has been like, never have any kids come back crying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, with the, 
so so like what is the jeez oh, question that might need to get cut you got it man. <laughs> keep, keep rolling the um, with regard to um to like people getting into the sport do you find that most people get into it then at a young age or is that uh, all across the board yeah 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 we have i mean there's some yeah kids who join we start as young as six and the kids come to that that at that age We've seen, we've seen a huge resurgence in interest in, in the last year. Uh, like we were talking about with just people wanting to get outdoors and anyone, pretty much anyone who watched um, on Amazon Prime, the yeah. Eco Challenge, like the as soon as that started airing, like our website hits went through the roof. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Is that like one of the first bigger kind of documentary type like shows that went on like a streaming platform? Because I, I watched that. Yes. That yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... The, um, that was the first one in about 20 years. Yeah. Uh, like if you know, if you look in the background of it, like it was, created, it was created by Mark Burnett who created Survivor and The Apprentice, unfortunately. Um, and, but before that he created, he, I don't know how many seasons he did, but he did a bunch of, he produced a bunch of Eco Challenge races that were wow. similar. Like if you saw, like there were a bunch of teams in this year's, this season that were just released who ran that original race 20 years ago in mm. Fiji. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely connected. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was like a, a young kid coming to the, the kid program, like mm-hmm. as a newcomer, like maybe take, take me through what that would look like. Like, what can I expect to learn? What does the process look like, um, for like new younger kids coming into the okay. sport? Do you want to go? Sure. Yeah. yeah, you go. Um, so yeah, the adventure running kids program has a number of factors. There's a number of things that come into it. So um, there's a focus on endurance, there's a focus on speed, there's a focus on navigation and agility, and they all kind of form the curriculum that goes into each season. So different components of those we'll touch on per kind of session that we do. Um, traditionally, there's a lot of games, and we use a lot of different items to kind of play different uh, endurance games or speed agility games. With COVID, we've actually had to structure it a lot more navigation-focused, which has been interesting. Mm. Um, but it's, it's kind of this... They can come into it with a, a whole bunch of general interests, right? They could be kids who want to run. Uh, they could be kids who like being outside. They could be kids who really enjoy the navigation component. And there's something for all of them. Um, and it's not just, you know, like running for kids can be boring, right? And a lot of kids understand running through track and field or through cross country. And there are those who enjoy that and that can get pushed that way. And there are those that just hate it until they're older in life. Something like this program allows them to come outside and play. It's, it's basically they get to have something that they can go after. They want to try to find a checkpoint. Right? So it's like a, a little carrot that they're chasing. Um, but they can do different games and they're never having to run around a track or they're never having to run in one direction. There's always kind of different things to see. Mm-hmm. And they'll find owls and they'll see hawks. And, yeah. And it's, it's obviously a good way to keep kids just active in general. Like sometimes yeah. that's obviously a challenging thing to do and more challenging these days. But kind of making it a little bit more like I like play based kind of the way you're explaining it, but also layering in the importance of like endurance, right? Or agility. Yeah. What, um, what do you think's like some of the biggest takeaways that kids have from the program or what have you noticed? Like, you know, maybe watching some kids develop through that, like they take away that one, maybe they use as they move on to like navigate on their own or even just general and like in life, I feel like there's probably some takeaways and parallels there. I would say, um, so this, this kind of goes into um, some of the research I'm doing right now too, where it's this idea of 
creating a space for people of all ages to um, have experiences with their body um, or through kind of contemplation in outdoor spaces. And when you're exposed to a whole bunch of different activities in different outdoor environments, the idea that I tend to see, what the thing that I see happens a lot of the time is that people become more resilient or they start to become, uh, there's a term called anti-fragility, which there's a researcher mm -hmm. named Nicholas Taleb, he's actually an economist, but he came up with this idea of anti-fragility, which is the more we do something hard, the stronger we get. Mm -hmm. And so I see a lot of kids that come into the program that at the beginning are really, really timid. But by the end of the season, they're running all over the places if they've been doing it all of their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that it's that seeing it's seeing kids develop naturally without having to have pressure, uh, and actually coming hopefully something that they'll enjoy for their life, right? Yeah, and I feel like and, and and again this is all new to me too. Like I've never really even experienced anything like that, but I could imagine like the confidence that you could gain in yourself, you know, like by being able to know that you can go out and navigate in an area where you don't have like your phone or you don't have anything like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that can be pretty powerful for someone to like feel that confidence, especially out in nature. Cause I feel like that also could be intimidating to people like being out in nature, mm. you know, without having anything or not experiencing that before. So that's, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. And Patrick's probably seen this for a lot of oh, yeah. day, right? Like that was literally we'll just get my answer without the funny word you just said. But um, like, yeah, like confidence. Like I've seen kids like show up who are afraid of trees yeah. or long grass. Like, and you know, it would just like, there's a lot of ticks now. Like ticks are getting worse and worse. So there's always a couple of kids who are like petrified of ticks uh, and see that sort of like them shed that fear over the course of 10 or 12 weeks is like, it's really fun to see. Yeah. So you've given a good sense of what, like what it sort of looks like for for kids. What is like? Is it done in three month blocks in like year long blocks? What does the actual programming look like in that sense? It's um, spring season and fall season. Uh -huh. Normally there are ten weeks right now. Uh, traditionally been twelve week programs, um, and they run kind of in all conditions, all weather, unless there's a warning. Uh -huh. um, so they get used to you know in the fall they're going to get hit with snow. Yeah. Um, they're going to get hit with cold kind of conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, in the spring, I actually haven't done a spring season yet, but mud <laughs> is. <true>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the spring season I was supposed to do got got canceled so, because of COVID. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, this right. will be the first first spring season. Yeah. yeah. Now is it weekly? By like twice a week? Is it? It's weekly. Yeah. Weekly. So we run in eight different locations. So I run for Monday through Thursday. Jay runs for uh, Hamilton, Burlington, Milton, Oakville, Niagara, Kitchener, Guelph. Guelph and two nights in Hamilton. Yeah, Wait, so, so once got, a week. Yeah, so you guys get a lot of kids then. Uh, like what you, What is your reach? Usually, a regular season, a spring or a fall, a fall season usually gets around five to six hundred kids total, and spring is around seven to eight hundred. Wow, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. That's amazing to have that sort of impact on yeah. that many kids. Yes, and like, and we've had, uh, we've had a lot who like start when they're six, and they've or eight. Like, it was we dropped to six fairly early on but like and who stay with the program the whole way through and there's a handful now who are in the like canadian national development squad yeah you guys have cool. pr produced some pretty pretty high level yeah athletes yes I, um like emma, emma waddington yes. i think went through your program right? yes well, so her dad mike actually created the program uh, literally wanting something for emma and her friends <laughs> to do uh but yeah so cool. yeah 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 
And then outside of the kids program, is there, do you guys offer like adult programs or services to people who maybe haven't experienced it as children? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we say all our races, like you can come and do them at any level. Um, so we run about 10 to 12 races a year. Uh, we also uh, have uh, navigation clinics uh, that run in the spring and fall as well, run by Emma Waddington right now, actually, um, for adults who have want to get into the sport but just have like no navigation experience. I, th I think that's just like a, 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 a I think it's like it's gonna be a movement uh, movement team thing. That would be cool. I think, do that, <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. That'd be um, so, you know, you mentioned you weren't able to do the spring season cause, mm. cause of COVID. I know that's probably thrown a little bit of wrench in what you guys do just mm. like everyone else, but how has that process been like having to pivot as, as like an organization? And then what is that looking like moving forward? Cause I know you guys are back operating now and doing things in some capacity. Yeah. Um, we got very lucky, uh, or maybe not lucky. There's, um, there's like everything got like shut down right before the start of all our spring programming. Uh, it wasn't hard to make the decision to cancel the kids program. Uh, we had to cancel one race. Um, we do like, we did weekly, like weeknight races once a week. They're very low key just for like people who, for the like moderate navigation level, which we kind of had to cancel. Uh, we, there's an app now we use called MapRun. Um, and you can set orienteering races literally in like virtual orienteering races literally anywhere. Um, and that sort of like replaced a lot of our races through the spring and summer. Um, and we are still using that now. So a lot, all our races use this like timing system. Um, so and all our races like effectively went virtual uh, in that early stage. So you'd sign up, we'd like email out your course map, a few details that you need to get into the course on the app and people can run that whenever they want. Cool. Uh, and we even, uh, in the fall, when things were a little bit more open, we were able to run our entire fall race series almost the same as it usually was. Um, we're lucky again that our sport involved people outdoors the whole yeah. time and dispersed across yeah. it. So like, there's no risk of any sort of any transmission during the race. The only time is at the beginning at registration where you usually get crowds of people. Most of our races have were mass start, so we uh, our biggest race like Road the Hammer had has a cap of three hundred people. Obviously, we couldn't do that. So instead of it being mass start, all or all our races in the fall were staggered. So like you signed up for a start time, you had to show up at registration an hour before that, and then you started and you did your course. So we like were able to stagger people the whole way through, um, but still like everyone to do the course. Yeah. So yeah, we were pretty lucky, and we're. We will be using that app even when COVID goes, like whenever life returns to whatever normal becomes. Yeah. That app, like a lot of people have actually said, oh, I always wanted to do your races or your courses, but I wasn't free on a Thursday evening. Right. right? So now that you can do these things at any time, that will become an extra thing we offer. Yeah, no, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's become a kind of, um, at least the, the X League, which is the weekly race series, has become a lot more adaptable as far as who can participate as well mm -hmm. because initially it was this small group that could only like Patrick said could only show up on Thursday but now because it's up for a while people can come but they can also bring their kids yeah uh, or they can it can be people of different abilities you don't have to mm -hmm. run it you can walk it mm -hmm. um, it provides a lot of other opportunities um, for different styles yeah. of races did you guys notice like an uptick in like people wanting to participate mm -hmm. in your sport just because there really wasn't 
yes. anything else oh, that you could really do, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it's probably a good a good thing from that standpoint <laughs> yes. for you guys. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's definitely um, we've definitely had more people do our races. Oh, I mean, our, we still like lowered our caps somewhat, so we could still like you know we didn't want to have too many people any at any one time. So our races numbers got lower. They were all selling out, and with a lot of new people that um. Uh, there, there were still some people who, like our old regulars, who still didn't want to travel to do our race, like people who normally would have traveled from like Barry or like um, London, who didn't want to travel two hours during the during the shutdowns. But locally, we've had people who were just like, who've never done our races, who were just like, must well try it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's, so it's a bit of a different, um, it's beneficial in the sense that it's not a, like a trail running race where you have a lot of congestion in different mm-hmm. areas yeah. because, right. because yeah. of the, the nature of it. You know, people are in completely different areas, right? Because yeah. you're choosing your own way to get to different checkpoints. Yes. So even like being out on some of our biggest races at certain checkpoints, you'd see a couple people and then like 20 minutes goes by and another yep. couple people. It's it's this ability to kind of run these races without having any contact right now. Yeah. Is... So maybe you can speak to that a little bit because, you know, uh, you know personally, I've, I, I, I was under the impression that you had to follow the checkpoints in a particular order, but mm-hmm. there's... Is it set out such that there's like six checkpoints or eight checkpoints and you just have to get to each one of them? Or or how, how is it that it spreads out and disperses so much? Yes. It's both. <laughs> it's both. It's both. Most of our races are we call a scatter or score format, especially now, which are, you know, you get a map with 20 checkpoints on it and they're all worth different amount of points and you have an hour to visit as many of those as you, as you can in whatever order you want and get back in, if you're late back, you start losing points. That's what, you, that's what we call a score event. And most of our courses have been that. The only uh, like other, Raid the Hammer, which is our most uh, traditional one, or our longest running one, is was point to point. So that is like, you have to do all 20 checkpoints in the order we prescribe. Right. But then again, how but then how you get to those checkpoints yes, varies, sure. right? Yeah. Depending on your navigation. There's skills. no like direct path no, or no, direct no, route no, that you take. You no, kind of no. just navigate. And and with this app now, so we can actually see where people went as well. So yeah, we're true. realizing that uh, people will go places you never expect them to. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, that's kind of cool though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be very clear with things yes. like out of bounds and such though too. Yeah, people like, will literally go. We, 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 <laughs> yeah. we had people like even like because we mark places on the map as out of bounds. There's a feature. There's a symbol for that. But again, a lot of people who are new to our races don't know that. Yeah. Um, and we had a bunch of people run at the Raid the Hammer this year. We got a we got a actually very polite email from a golf course, a private golf course that teams were running across, that's uh, adjacent to King's Forest. Um, the people were running through because it's easier to run through a golf course than it is to run through the woods. Yeah. Even though it was marked out of bounds. But they were like, and we were apologetic. I said, oh, I'm really sorry. Like Jay went out there to like stop teams doing that. Uh, but at that stage, I think it didn't see anyone. Um, but they were like really, they were really good about it, luckily. But yeah, people will, uh, I, I, that's part of, again, something I've learned from course setting is like, if there's a, I've got to look at every leg and if there's a chance that someone might like go through private property, like I can't have, that's not a leg I can use. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. Not worth the risk. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. like, and, like, and we, we set a city race in Hamilton in um, the summer. And that's one of my thoughts now is like, where I was going to set it this year was, uh, it was going to be people like, people could cross the train tracks that run right through the city. And I'm like, 
can't have that. Like, so like or at least like cross at the places where it's acceptable for the public to cross, not just like anywhere through the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of, that kind of goes back to the conversation about new people on the trails that we were having earlier too, right? Like yeah. the yeah, education component. Yeah. And with new people coming into this, there's things that they don't know, which is probably pushing yes. a lot of how things are yeah. done. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I guess from an education standpoint, is there anything that you guys try to educate them on from like, you know, how you're referring to the trails or even just about nature and how to respect it and mm-hmm. that kind of thing? Is that something that you guys go through in, in the program? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's um, anytime you're bringing particularly people who have never spent time in the outdoors into a new space, Yeah, there's a significant amount of education that goes there, right? Because there's going to be um, specifically plants at times that maybe are not uh, going to be very good for you. Right? They have mm-hmm. poison ivy, giant hogweed, things like that that are in these locations. So you need to be educated to know about that. But you also have to learn respect in how you use those areas. Mm-hmm. right? You want to have people come in, you want to create stewards. And there's, a, there's always this kind of catch-22 between stewardship and restricting use to protect. Right? Um, but if you can have people come into these areas and you can educate them from the age that we're starting at, mm-hmm in how, the, how they're supposed to interact and engage with the outdoors, then that's something that creates lifelong stewardship as, mm-hmm. you, as you go. So it's yeah. a really important part. And so it's like polices itself, essentially, right? It should, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, you don't want someone out there like pointing a stick at someone yeah. and saying, don't do that. It's, it yeah. should be something that's learned just through your own personal experiences with that environment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess you, you probably know a lot about stewardship from your climbing days with uh, opening up new crags and things like yeah. that, huh? Yeah. 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 And that, that comes back to, that's also, um, uh, it's my education built in with like, yeah, climbing was a big practical application of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's, it's inherently, there's inherent um, usage of that ecosystem that's not necessarily, to some people's eyes, seen as beneficial, right? So if you're developing a climbing area, and if you're, pull, if you're bolting, for instance, you're putting bolts in rock, People can look at that and be like, ooh, hold on a second. But understanding the sport in that environment and then understanding the the benefits that, that has to the people that are using those areas as far as making them stewards in other respects. Right. Right. Um, the Niagara Glen was a big one back back in 2008 when they were trying to close that whole area to climbers. And the biggest argument was, one, you're, you're picking on a group of people that have actually shown stewardship in that area for, for decades. Um, but they were being viewed as, because they were the most prominent people in that area, they were being viewed negatively. But what they learned through basically the Ontario Access Coalition coming in and making it apparent was that these are stewards, these are people who will do anything to keep that area uh, usable and and to keep it um, from going into further degradation, right? So doing cleanups and doing different initiatives. But at the same time, that, that group, like any other group in the outdoors, needs to be educated and they need to know what's going on in those areas too. So it's kind of that yeah. back and forth. So you guys, you guys run races in a lot of different um, municipalities mm-hmm. then. So is a big part of your job sort of, uh, you know, coordinating with municipalities and the different, um, you know, conservation authorities yes. to... To, to like kind of present yourselves as as you just described as a steward yes yeah uh i'd say the best example is like the the conservation the hamilton conservation authority like we get special permission once a, basically once a year to host a race that goes off trail like they generally i'm sure they prefer to just say no like, and so it's i really appreciate they continue to work with us um 
but like so we like every race we beforehand we have to you know provide the course to them to show where we want people to go they will an ecologist will look at it and make sure like there's not not going to any areas that are sensitive and we usually always have to make course adjustments um and we also have on like race day as well like we make a big deal of like letting people know like you're getting special permission to do this mm-hmm. uh like just because you have a copy of this detailed map now you can't come back and like go and try to run the course again like this is a one-off a special treatment yeah. and that's across the board like we work with niagara uh but niagara peninsula conservation authority they're they're great they want us they want us there more <laughs> but unfortunately their areas aren't great for uh most races uh, like, and we occasionally go up to um, Albion Hills, uh, which is, I think, covered by the Toronto Conservation Authority. So it's the same sort of deal. Yeah, always, you've always got to like show what you're planning on doing and sort of like give a plan on like making sure people aren't going to go back and then like rerun and trash these areas. So yeah, I mean, this yeah. this winter, I've it's so apparent yeah. how many people are using the yes. off trail network in yes. like the Dundas Conservation Area, especially. I mean, like. After that big snowfall, the the amount of like uh, snowshoe trauma yes, I saw off trail, I was just yeah. like, oh my goodness, yeah. like, yeah. So yeah. I appreciate the stewardship that you guys yeah. are are doing and, and yeah. kind of building into into and, the generations. And most of the people who do our races, like, we tend to attract the people who appreciate the places they're going to, so they don't want to like they don't want to lose access to it as well. So like, right. we've always found like yeah, the people who do our races are very like they'll follow what we ask them to do. So we're kind of lucky, like. It's one of the best. The best ways to do is like these people who keep coming back and like make the races good. Yeah, yeah. It's always a careful balance between stewardship and activity and being because you you can't have. I mean, conservation areas are very involved in conservation, right. but there's a balance between you need people to actually use those areas to gain appreciation mm-hmm. yeah. to then for those places to be important. Right? Yeah, so and to fight for them as well. Like you hear stories about. Um, I've heard of it more in the states, like areas that like closed off natural areas to everyone, and then twenty years later, a developer comes in and wants to like put a bunch of condos up, and there's no one there to fight for those areas because there's no one who's in there to appreciate it. Right. Yeah. 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 That's cool, though. I mean, it's it's awesome to hear that there's more to what you guys do than just a race. Which <laughs> I assumed I assumed it yeah. was that, yeah. but like not knowing anything about it and then diving into it, it's cool that there's more than just a race. Like you're mm-hmm. you're putting those things out there for for another important reason. So yeah. that's awesome. Maybe just to wrap up the conversation, like is there anything, you know, maybe you guys would say to people who are on the fence about joining that maybe kind of push them over the edge mm-hmm. to want to come out that kind of would encourage them to participate more? I mean, now's a perfect time to try it out because there's there's so many different ways that, that we're providing the program, uh, and a lot of it is a little bit more universal as far as who can who can do it, right? So yeah. if you want to get your kids involved in in the program, that's that's great. We have numbers through the roof right now. We're <laughs> pretty filled up in most of our areas. Yeah. But that's one component. But there's also like the the weekly X leagues and things like that yeah. where you can bring just about anybody out yeah. to try it out, and it's it's uh, it's taken maybe some of the pressure off for people. Yeah. yeah, and the cost barrier is very low. Like, very low. it's twelve bucks a race if you just do an individual one. Yeah, we send you the map. You do it whenever you want. Uh, you can run it multiple times if you want to. Some diehards do that. Um, and yeah, like, and that's just it's just as much time as you want to put into it. Basically, like, it's pretty. The barrier is as low as it's ever been. If as long as you've got a little bit of confidence of trying it yourself without a lot of like someone there saying you do this and you do that and you do that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
and I, I don't think we actually chatted about the not-for-profit side of uh, mm -hmm. what you guys do. Do you guys want to speak to that? Oh, I'm not really sure how much to, there is to say about that. Um, yeah, we uh, got not-for-profit status some point in the last 10 years. No, it was even before I started. Um, I mean, all that means is um, uh, most, like, people will look at our, like, our, our, uh, our race series and go, well, you're not for profit, why are we, why are we charging so much? Uh, our big races, like Raid the Hammer, um, subsidize our kids' program, basically. Uh, all, all, all not for profit really means for us is, like, we're not a big corporation, we're not, we're not making money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and everything we do make goes back into other programs, basically. Yeah, I guess guess that's what I was getting at is like yeah. The, yeah, the subsidization of the kids yes. program yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's super super important right yes. is is you know really getting getting youth active and getting youth um uh you know engaged in the outdoors and and turning yeah. them into advocates and yeah. yeah and that's one of the like a very common discussion at our board meetings is do we raise the price of our kids program we did have to for COVID this year just because our numbers dropped from like 50 percent yeah. um but like one of the big drivers is we want this to be uh, as long as people can get to the locations we we run out of because you know we run out of like the edge of the city most of the time uh we want it to be as affordable as possible for anyone who wants to do it and especially also like you hear about how insane like hockey fees are yeah like the cost of our 10 or 12 week season is less than like one piece of hockey equipment basically <laughs> but like we, but we have long discussions on whether we should raise the price five bucks Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And if the goal is to, if the goal is to to get people outside and to be doing these programs, then you know, parents and children and parents, it's always hard to get your kids into activities because there's a cost restriction to a lot of people. For sure. And you can't create, you can't find something engaging for kids to do, and you can't um, do that in a way that's that benefits kind of the the overall picture. Um, with increased amounts of, of profit, right? So the idea of a non-for-profit and that reinvesting within, within to kind of help particularly the kids in this case is like, it, it makes a lot more sense um, for getting a lot more people involved than you would otherwise. Do you see a pretty mixed demographic of, of uh, you know, kids coming through? Yes. Depending on the yeah, and it's I think because because of all the areas we run out of too, yes. you see you see a lot of different kids from in from a lot of different demographics. Yeah, and, yeah. that's great. Mm. That's cool. Um, just to wrap up, we got a couple of fun questions for you guys. Okay, <laughs> um, so no pressure. But um, favorite local restaurant could be in like Hamilton Dundas area. You guys enjoy? I have to be biased. Can we? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm biased. Uh, I would say Fairweather Brewery. Uh, <laughs> my, 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 I, I'm a big fan, and my partner works there. Um, okay. <laughs> I was gonna, my other question was going to be favorite local brewery. So yeah, yeah. I think you I can hit that. Both. Well, rest, restaurants. Um, man, restaurants. That's, that seems like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I don't, there's a new. So there's a new place in West Hill that's name I forget. Um, that I've had recently. I think it's called Nama. Uh, it's like uh, I think it's like Persian food. It's okay. yeah, like right next to the old uh, the theater, and it's delicious. Okay, that would be my that would be my one right now. So we know your favorite brewery is Fairweather. <laughs> I would probably say Fair Fairweather as well. I'm a bit of a like a brew whore. Like I don't really care. So I would any like uh, I like Fairweather. I like Grain and Grit, and I like um, 
like uh, creative art. So what what do I want? What do you want from me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't go wrong. No, yeah, like, all good options. Yeah. There's a lot of good options in the city. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead. What about what about your favorite uh, favorite local trail? You can start now. <laughs> oh, there's like so like. I can't say my favorite one because it's an unofficial trail. It's, it's, it's an official unofficial trail in the Dundas Valley. It's very popular and most people wouldn't even know they're on an unofficial trail. Yeah. And I don't even know what the name of what we'd call it anyway. Uh, I really like the, tra- the Bruce Trail Network. Uh, I'm going to have two now, actually. I've just thought of two that I really like. The Bruce Trail Network out <laughs> near Felder Falls. Oh, yeah. uh, it's really pretty and quiet. All the way along to like the, the view, like if you followed all the way along to... Um, the ski hill above King's Forest Golf Course. Like, there's beautiful views of the city all the way out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one, the stretch of trail between, like, Canterbury Falls and um, Webster's. Not Webster's. Um, the one right near the road. The Sherman. 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 Sher- yeah. Sherman and Canterbury, that section that's just reopened. Yeah. Spectacular. All, yeah. And all the way along the escarpment there is just, it never gets old. Yeah. yeah. I would say that's one of my favorite. My, um, some of my all-time favorites, uh, Partly because of proximity and the amount of times I've spent in those areas, but the Blackwoods, Grindstone Creek area, Smoky Hollow, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in Waterdown, um, those those would be some of my favorite and also most frequented areas. Um, and then a lot of the, I've done a lot of um, kind of point to point runs, so running like the entire Iroquois section in a day type thing, which is about 120 kilometers and. Um, the benefit to that is that you get to see like the Niagara section is really beautiful, right? The Grimsby section through and you get to see kind of all these areas and it's hard to pick and choose and point out things that are better than others because there's so many beautiful spots along the way and depending on where your mind is that at that point in time yeah. too. But I would say e- even though I've been through some of those areas the most like yeah that whole Smoky Hill mm. Grindstone area always the trail down like Grindstone especially when the river's flowing is just <sighs> magic yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah it is really good yeah I love personally I, lo- I love even just like the the Albion Albion Falls zone, like that whole Red yeah. Hill Valley. Yeah, it's just, it's, 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 yeah, it's yeah. pretty pretty cool little little nook. We too. set a couple of our X League races through there this past year, and I'd only ever run through there when we'd been planning courses. Uh, I never actually like run run through there, and yeah, like that is just yeah. I'm really I live only about ten minutes away, and it's like why don't I run here more often? Like yeah. it's yeah. All it's not sections. particularly tra- technical. No, I, I really enjoy technical trail. It's yeah. not particularly technical, but yeah. it's just really pretty. Yes. Well, yeah. Speaking of technical, the the section from basically Twist Road out towards oh, yeah, yeah out towards um yeah, uh, why well, am I spacing on right now? Crawford uh, Lake. Yes. And such. Yeah, that, yeah. that section I love as well. Yeah. So yeah. many. Yeah, yeah, we're really lucky. Yeah. Uh, got lots of money. And then the yeah. entire Bruce Peninsula, but that's not local. Last question would be, uh, you know, we ask each of our guests, like, what move local means to them? So I'd be curious to hear, maybe we'll have, you know, Jay, you could kick it off, and then Patrick, you could follow up with your thoughts. Um, I would like to say that that the whole, that, you know, with COVID and things, it's changed, but it's, it's kind of, I've always, I've trained most of the time in my own backyard. Um, and the idea of kind of moving local, I think for me is this uh, both solo and and kind of community-based engagement within our outdoor spaces um, and then the the kind of um, addition to that is is that the more that you're engaged in those local areas the more responsibility you feel towards them and the more uh, stewardship you feel towards them um, and it just creates a much broader 
uh, appreciation over time. Yeah. And looking from one year to the next and how things have changed is really important as well. That's cool. Uh, I thought of it a little, kind of the same, but also differently. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of uh, like move local, meaning like just really explore locally. Uh, it always makes me sad when I hear people who who run here and said, "Yeah, I, I ran the trails this week, and they ran the rail trail from Fortinos up to like I don't know twenty kilometers and back again." Like yeah. I always, and I, I, it's, I think because I came from Orienteering at such a young age, I'm very comfortable with just like running along a trail where I don't know where it goes. Um, but in this age now where we have phones that tell us where we are almost all the time where we have GPS watches that can get us back to where we started like explore your local trails don't worry about getting lost the worst that's going to happen is your run might be 10 minutes longer yeah, um, yeah so just, just explore locally we're, we're still uh, finding new areas to run locally all the time and yeah. it's been because of the whole shutdown and it's been great yeah. yeah, but wait, your company says don't get lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know it's more it's more of a guideline than an actual rule. No. Yeah. That's awesome though. I I've uh, I really appreciate this conversation. You know, I think it's a it's a cool conversation to have. Um, I think for me taking away like this idea of stewardship and then exploration, like mm-hmm. kind of at the end there, really s- sums it up pretty nicely. So it's mm-hmm. cool to kind of get both of those those perspectives and see the importance of of them both. So appreciate you guys coming on. Um, if you guys want to leave where people could find like the Instagram page if they have one, and then website, and then we can uh, wrap up. Yeah, uh, don'tgetlost.org will get you pretty much anywhere. That's our main entrance page. We'll get you to the kids program, all our various races. Uh, our Instagram, I think, is at don'tgetlostar. Yeah, yes, uh, and that's just, we generally pretty pictures of trees and checkpoints in the woods and news on new programs or when races are coming up. So yeah, check us out there as well. Cool, awesome. Thank you guys, appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks, no, that was Good. fun.